You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. <laughs> so part of being a portable church is your office space is at coffee shops. Uh, I have a really cool corner office located at Caribou, and uh, it's a nice comfy chair. You care about chairs when you're working at coffee shops, right? So uh, I, I, uh, I go to this uh, Caribou coffee shop one day and Starbucks another day and maybe another coffee shop another day just to kind of you know, mix it up a little bit. Um, but uh, Caribou, they have this chalkboard there. Have you ever seen it when it says like, you know, just random questions like, what are you excited about the summer for kind of thing? Or what's your favorite movie or whatever it is. So this one was about like, uh, what's good news or something like that in your life. And, and I wrote down, that's not actually, I should have taken a picture of it, but that's what it looks like. I wrote down, um, God forgives. And then I drew an arrow going down and then I, I put the name Jesus. And I just felt like I'm going to do this. You know, God forgives in the name of Jesus right there. You think it was a little bit different from everything else that was written down? Yeah, just a little bit. So I went by like the next day, and I'm walking by it because I was going to, I was just walking by it, and I, I noticed the chalkboard, and I saw God forgives. It was still there. But there were these initials right by it, like that were pointing to God forgives. And it was the initials BS, which I thought, huh. What does BS mean? I have no idea what BS means. Maybe some of you know I have no idea what BS means. I thought, well, it's probably a Britney Spears fan. You know, because someone just cares about Britney. Or maybe it's, you may think, you know, like bachelors of science, maybe. Someone has a BS degree. I thought, well, maybe that's what, or maybe they mean Bible study. Like they took a Bible study on like God's love and, and, and that kind of thing. Or maybe it means like blessed sacrament. That's what it's got to mean. That's what it, right? Do you buy in any of that stuff, don't you? No? Um, <laughs> so why is it that the name of Jesus is so polarizing? Why is it this idea of God forgives could make some people like angry and, and it could become like, like, like all of a sudden it's like fighting turf and stuff. I mean, it's such good news, but someone can look at that good news and, and be really bothered about it, even angry about it. Um, someone once said this, you don't, realize, you don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. So true. The days before my life with Jesus, I, I spent 18 years in this world without Jesus, really knowing Jesus. And now that I've had Jesus, I'll tell you what, <clears throat> he's been so faithful. He's been so faithful. He's my everything. Some of you could identify with that. For, for you, Jesus is your everything. You find your, your peace from him, your joy from him. You have coffee with him. You spend time with him in the kitchen. You talk to him in the car. Maybe you put on that worship music in the car and you're singing lights out and you don't care who sees you and you pray to him and you love him and he's been your all. Maybe he's worked in your family. Maybe he's worked in your fam, you know, parents, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and Jesus is just your everything. For others of you, maybe Jesus is not your everything. Maybe you might acknowledge him as a great spiritual leader, but he's not your leader. Or you might, you might acknowledge him as a great teacher, but you live by your own standards. 
Or maybe you acknowledge him as a historical figure, but you don't really know him and you haven't even spent any time with him today. Maybe you haven't even looked into the Word and you haven't spent much time at all with him. But you'd like to say maybe you know him. You'd like to say you go to church, but you don't know him. You don't know him. So we're in this uh, study in the book of Acts. And you see some people wearing the unleashed shirts And that's the unleashing power of the Holy Spirit, the unleashing power of the local church. And this is where Christianity is born. The book of Acts is found right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the author of Acts is Dr. Luke. Luke wrote the Acts, and he wrote it to this guy named Theophilus, which means lover of God. In the first few chapters of Acts, you read about these ordinary men and, and other people coming together and, and these are people who witness Christ, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes down on them in Acts chapter 2, and, and all of a sudden they speak in other languages, which is symbolic that the gospel is a global gospel. And all of a sudden there's this new life that happens with these believers, and, and thousands of people are being added, and people are excited about Jesus, and people actually witness him. Scripture says that over 500 people saw him and looked at his body, and, and it changed everything everything, and people just, it was just a time of celebration, but then something happens, and it involves this guy named Stephen. Stephen is this guy that uh, we don't know a whole lot about. Um, We know that for Stephen, he loves Jesus. We know Stephen is crazy about Jesus. In fact, Scripture tells us He's full of God's grace and power. Scripture tells us that. And other versions say full of, full of faith. Let me just read it to you. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. So oh, you see this four times in Scripture in Acts chapters, chapter 6 and, and Acts chapter 7. You read about Stephen being full of God's grace and power. I want to stop right there and ask you, what are you full of? What are you full of? Do people look at you and know what you're full of? I said this a couple of weeks ago. The tongue is a tattletale of your heart. If you want to know what someone's full of, all you have to do is listen to the words that come out of their mouth. That's what you know they're full of. Stephen is this guy that shows up. We don't know a whole lot about him. But Stephen shows us you can be human and you could know God. You could be human and have a relationship with God. It's crazy. You could be human and you could be used by God. That was Stephen. So I want to read a little bit here. Verse 9 says this, But one day some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. Now, the synagogue of freed slaves is also known as the freedmen, and these were descendants from Jewish slaves captured by Pompey in 63 BC. That's who these guys were, and they were taken to Rome. When they were later expelled from Rome, some went to Jerusalem and formed a synagogue there. So that's who these guys were. These guys, um, they knew their Bible. They knew all the stories of Moses and 
Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they knew all the stories of King David and, and Solomon. So they, were, they, knew, they knew the Scripture, but they, they didn't know Jesus. They held on to the Old Testament traditions, the Mosaic Law. They, that was, they, so they were like religious, but they didn't know Jesus. And verse 10 says this, none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we've heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. <clears throat> Have you ever been the subject of, like, accusations? Have you ever been accused of something that you didn't do or you didn't say? It's a horrible experience, isn't it? And you find yourself trying to defend yourself, and then you realize, gosh, all I have is my integrity, and if they don't believe, they don't believe, and this kind of thing. And, and Stephen is standing before these guys, and, 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 and he starts getting accused, and the conversation changes, and you know, there's some, you know, some, some things that are said that are below the belt, and, and all of a sudden it goes from me teaching you about Jesus to my integrity, and, and whoa, this is becoming really serious. I don't know what's happening here. Verse 12 says this, this roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So now they're getting other circles involved. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses, which is not true. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Well, that's not completely true. <clears throat> not completely true. You know, the, 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 the best lies are about 5% lies. You know, those are the best lies. There's about 5% of a lie in there, and you've got to find out where it's at. Uh, this verse 15 tells us about Stephen. Look at this. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen. Why? Because his face became as bright as an angel's. This is one of those places in the Bible that you read and you're like, I don't understand what that means. I'm just going to go to the next verse. You know, I'm not sure what, not surely, surely not like literal. I don't know what that means. I don't understand it. Another version says it like this, and fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Stephen. <clears throat> Could you imagine being in this, in this, you know, debate, this middle of these accusations, and, and the person that you're accusing, all of a sudden you look at their countenance and their countenance changes. You know, I, I think for me, if I were there and I saw this guy's face start glowing and stuff like that, and I knew he wasn't like powered up to anything, <laughs> and his face starts glowing, I think I would be like, you know what, I'm gonna, done with accusing this guy. I don't know what it is about him, but I'm going to leave him alone. Because I don't know what he's going to do, shoot out some beams out of his eyes or something. <laughs> I don't know what's happening here, but this is weird. I've never seen this before. I don't understand it. I thought we were talking about this, but look at his face. Just look at the human nature of people. <clears throat> There's this mob thing that's happening around Stephen. These liars, you know, falsely accused Stephen of things which were not true. And Stephen's just taking it in the chin. He's listening to them and 
He's taking it in the But his relationship with God is so close. His relationship with Jesus is so close. All of a sudden, his face starts glowing, and people witness this. But when you turn the page and you look at chapter 7, chapter 7 is almost like the face glowing thing is gone, and it's out of their mind. It tells me also our capacity. You could have an encounter with God in a church service or in your car or at home or wherever it is, and you can feel like God spoke to me, and then we can forget about it so quickly. We can forget about what God said to us. We can forget about what God's will is. We can forget about it so quickly. In chapter 7, verse 1, here's the question. And the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? Are these accusations true? And what Stephen does is the way he answers these accusations, he doesn't even say yes or no. I mean, you know the answer is no. But he knows the crowd that he's talking to, they know the Old Testament. They know the Bible. They can teach a Sunday school class. They can be a board member. They can be a pastor, whatever. They grew up in the church. And what he does is he takes all those stories that they know of, because they know them already, and he brings them back. And this, all these stories are before Christ. And he brings back these before Christ, and he, he brings them to the table in front of them, and he makes this incredible point about their hearts. Incredible point. So you start, I'm going to just go through these characters. First guy he starts talking about is Abraham. Abraham is known as the father of faith. Abraham's the father of the the Jewish nation, Israel. And the story is God reached out to Abraham and said, his name was Abraham at the time, and said, I'm going to bless you and your descendants are going to be as, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And chapter 7, verse 5, Stephen says this, but God gave him no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land. God did promise, however, that eventually the whole land would belong to Abraham and his descendants, even though the even though he had no children yet. So why is Stephen sharing this with this group? You might, don't, don't think that he's just sharing random stories. They're not random stories. Stephen is making a point about their hearts. And Stephen is telling them, you know, Abraham or Abraham was considered righteous. He got a promise even before the promise was fulfilled. He was told you're going you're to have as many descendants as the stars in the sky before he even had one son. He was told to leave his homeland and go to a land that God would show him without knowing exactly where he would go, but Abraham obeyed. It's an incredible word for us today. You walk by faith, not by sight. You trust in God. And even when the circumstances don't make sense, your hope is in God. It's not in your boss. It's not in your circumstances. Your hope is in God. You don't look with human eyes. You look with spiritual eyes, and you trust the one who gave you that word. When God speaks to you, you hold on to that word. And God is watching you to see if you'll walk by faith, even though the circumstances don't make sense. It pleases God when we walk by faith. You can't get around it. Hebrews says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And Abraham was the rock star. He's the poster child of walking by faith. In verse 8, you read about this, this covenant. 
God also gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision at that time. So when Abraham's, Abraham became the father of Isaac, he circumcised him on the eighth day, and the practice was continued when Isaac became the father of Jacob, and when Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs of the Israelite nation. So Stephen is telling this crowd, look, God wants to be in this covenantal relationship. It's about walking with God. Some of you know what that's like, walking with God. It's not about this religion of do's and don'ts. It's about this relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why you're at church, right? That's why I'm at church, because it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants to have with you. He's a covenant-keeping God, and he wants to walk with you. And then Stephen talks about this other character named Joseph. You find Joseph in the Bible, and Joseph is one of the brothers, one of the brothers, one of the, one of the 12 brothers. And uh, Joseph is hated by the other brothers. If you know your Bible just a little bit, this is, the story is he had a dream. It was a dream that he was standing up and all the other brothers were bowing down before him, Right? For Joseph, it was a good dream. For everyone else, it was a bad dream. And Joseph shares this dream with his brothers, and they thought, that's not a good dream. We don't like that dream at all. His brothers hate him. In fact, his, his dad, Jacob, gave him the famous coat of many colors. Are you, are you ever jealous with your, you, your brothers or sisters, and you're jealous, and you think, well, they're mom's favorite or dad's favorite? That was Joseph. Everybody looked at Joseph and said, there's the favorite right there. We know dad loves him more than anyone else. And eventually, they faked his death. They made it look like they used goat blood and all kinds of crazy stuff, and they sold him to Egypt to be, to be a slave there. But you know, God's word never returns void. God's word never returns void. And God gave a word to Joseph, and even when he was in the jail cell, when it didn't make any sense, only God can take someone who's in a jail cell and promote him to VP of operations for an entire nation in one day. And that's what God did with Joseph. And then eventually Joseph, God uses Joseph to bring the entire nation of Israel to go and live in Egypt, actually in this place called Goshen. And that's where they live and they're kept safe during the days of famine. And they're there for many, many years. And Scripture says that Pharaoh, there was a lot of favor God put in the heart of Pharaoh for Joseph and Israel. And Scripture said while they were living there in, in, in Goshen, Scripture says when they first moved to Goshen, there were about 75 of them, 75 Hebrews. And when they were there, though, they started, they started multiplying like rabbits, having kids. And sooner or later, they got so big, um, they, they, the Israel or uh, Egypt started looking at them as a threat. And when the new Pharaoh came in, Scripture says he knew nothing about Joseph. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they became slaves because of fear. That Pharaoh was concerned that this nation, Israel, would take over Egypt. So he made them slaves. And they were their slaves for about 400 years. About 400 years. But then there was this other guy that came up that, that God raised. You know what his name is? Here's a picture of him. We don't know exactly what it looks like, but his name's Moses. Moses and Aaron. And God told Moses, Moses, I want to use you to free my people out of Egypt. I want to use you. And Scripture said that God used Moses. And I want to read verse, uh, verse 30, chapter 7, verse 30. says this, Forty years later in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. And that's where God gave him the Ten Commandments. 
and God tells them how to live, and, and you see God's faithfulness throughout this whole thing. But you also see Israel continue to reject Moses. They even worshipped a golden calf. You know, we are creatures of worship. They even worshipped a golden calf. You worship something. You worship someone. Maybe you worship yourself. Here's the hint of your worship. Money is not an issue for whatever you worship. It's not an issue. Time is not an issue. You make time for what you worship. You make time. And Scripture says this, verse 39, But our ancestors refused to listen to Moses. They rejected him and wanted to return to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us some gods who can lead us, for we don't know what has become of this Moses who brought us out of Egypt. So they made an idol shaped like a calf, and they sacrificed to it and celebrated over this thing they had made. So Stephen goes through this story, and, and now next you read, when you read, he talks about Joshua, and he talks about King David, and he talks about Solomon. So they're listening to this Bible story, and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But they were able to, to read between the lines. They heard what Stephen was really saying, and here it comes. He goes to them, verse 51, he says these words to him. I want you to, re I want you to read those first three words out loud. What does he say? How does that feel? Are you a stubborn person? Would someone around you say you're a stubborn person? Some of you, you might be stubborn and you wear proud, like pride, with pride, like it's a merit badge or something, and you're like, yeah, I'm stubborn. You know, are you a stubborn person? Stephen shares, he, the, the question was, are these accusations true? And Stephen just unpacks the Old Testament and goes through these main characters, and the whole story behind all of that was, you rejected God's word over here, you killed the messenger, and now you're rejecting God's word right now, and you're killing the messenger again. You're just like your ancestors. You're just like your daddies. You're just like them. And he says, you stubborn people. He said, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit. You know, it's possible to resist the Holy Spirit. And if you sense the Holy Spirit stirring your heart, you respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit stirring your heart. If the Holy Spirit is telling you, I want you to read today, I want you to spend time today, I have something to share, you respond to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to go to church, or I want you to share your faith, or I want you to extend love, I want you to, whatever it is, if the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, that shouldn't have come out of your mouth, you pay attention to what the Holy Spirit says to you. And he says, that's what your ancestors did, and so do you. And verse 52, it says, Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one. Who's that? It's Jesus. The Messiah whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law even though you received it from the hands of angels. <clears throat> Stubbornness will keep you 
from knowing God's will. Stubbornness will break up a marriage. Stubbornness will, will impact a relationship between father, son, mother, daughter. Stubbornness will keep you from growing because you don't have a teachable spirit if you're stubborn. You're always right. You're always right. Stubbornness says there's nothing, I haven't done anything wrong and you're never wrong. And you may say you're wrong, but you don't, you don't share that with, every, with anyone at all. Stubbornness is pride and ego and all you do is, is you just are living like that. C.S. Lewis said this, there's nothing progressive about being pig-headed and refusing to admit a mistake. Nothing progressive about it. It's not a sign of maturity. It's not a sign of wisdom. It's a sign of weakness. John Maxwell, famous leadership guru, said this, a man must be big enough to admit his mistakes, smart enough to profit from them, and strong enough to correct them. So true. So true. I'm going to ask you a question. When was the last time you went to someone and said the words, forgive me? Those are strong words. <laughs> For some of you, it's a lot easier to say, I'm sorry. Those are still hard words to say. Um, for others of you, maybe you can even say that. Maybe you just were silent and you started doing good things to them to show them that you're, you feel sorry, but you couldn't get it out of your, out of your mouth. You just, you just kind of avoided it. Look what happens. Verse 54. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation and they shook their fist at him in rage. But Stephen, here it is again, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Wow. <clears throat> Jesus sees this. This human looks up and he sees Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 56, and he told them, look, I, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And what, did, what happened? What did they do? Verse 57, then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. Ah! They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. In, in a Jewish historian talked about stoning. It was a horrible death. This is a different stoning than Colorado stoning, okay? This is a different death. So, so, so this is what it looked like. When, when someone, especially blasphemy, remember he was saying, speaking against Moses, speaking against the Lord, that they would take the person who's going to be stoned, and about 50 feet or so before the actual event would happen, they would tell him or her, confess your sins. So that, like, there was a moment of confession on their road to get stoned. And as, as they kept walking, and whether they confessed their sins or not, when they were right around 10 feet or so, it's all measured by cubits, not by feet, but when they got around 10 feet or so, someone behind them would push them down from the back. They would fall face down. They would be stripped of their clothes, fall face down. And then as they were rolling over to get up, there would be someone standing above them with a huge rock and they would throw it down on their chest while he was lying down on his back. And if that didn't kill him, 
when he started getting up from the massive rock falling on his chest and getting up, as soon as he would get up a little bit, everyone would start stoning him. Everyone would start stoning him. That was what it meant to be stoned. And scripture says that they started to do this. And then there's this one little line right there. His accusers took off their coats because they wanted to get a good, you know, wound up kind of thing. They, they threw off their coats so they can throw rocks really, really well. And they took off their coats and they laid him at the feet of a young man named who? Who are we talking about here? Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle. His name was Saul before. This is the first mention in the Bible of Saul, Paul the Apostle. So Paul the Apostle, the famous apostle, which most of the New Testament is written by Paul the Apostle. He's a rock star. He's the best, greatest missionary, you could argue. And Saul was right there, and all the coats were collected at Saul's feet, and he's watching Stephen. He's watching Stephen. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He, it sounds just like Jesus on the cross, doesn't it? Verse 60 says this, He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. <laughs> this is a part in the story where it loses me. I mean, there's like Reuben down here and there's like Stephen up here. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> you have a hard time forgiving people when you've been hurt, wounded. Parents, when you're kids are hurt and someone else hurt them or men when your woman is hurt and someone else I mean do you have a hard time forgiving people you know what it feels like that pain that betrayal all that stuff I mean Stephen is being murdered and he's on his knees and rocks are coming at him and his prayer is Lord forgive them for they don't know what they do forgiving others is the most Christ-like thing you can do to someone. Some of you need to forgive someone. Forgiving others. Scripture tells us we should forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. It's the most Christ-like thing you can do. When you look at Stephen, <clears throat> Stephen changes. Everything changes for Stephen. In so many ways. Because when there were these Christians, he's the first martyr for Christianity. And when you look at Stephen, the church is really a happy, joyful, lucky, fun time. It's a potluck, fun time. We're partying. Our Jesus is risen. He's alive. I'm going to heaven. This forgiven, this for, life of forgiveness is great. My heart is clear. My mind is clear. Our king lives, and it's like this kind of joyful time. We share together, we eat together, we live together. Why, this is awesome. It's just a big party, and I feel so good on the inside. And then Stephen rolls around, and Stephen is murdered for his faith in Jesus. And all of a sudden, it's like the innocence of the church is lost. 
the innocence of Christianity is lost. All of a sudden, there's this new color with Christianity. They're like, oh my word, if I tell anyone that I'm a Christian, that could happen to me. That could happen to me. I'm not sure if I'm a Christian still. I liked all the potlucks. I enjoyed all that, but I don't know about that. And all of a sudden, Stephen brought in this new element of being a Christian. Courage. 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 Is your life in danger right now because you're at Prairie Hills Elementary School and church right now? Is your life in danger? Is your life in danger because you call yourself a Christian at home or at work or whatever it is? When you look at this, the, the landscape of being a Christian changes because of Stephen. And then if you want to, you know, if you want to look at Stephen and think, gosh, was he successful? He only preached one sermon. One sermon. And when you look at this one sermon, nobody came forward and said, I want to receive Jesus. Nobody said, hey, I, I need to get, I need, I need God in my life and would you pray for me? And, you know, there was nothing like that. Nothing positive. Nothing positive. As a preacher, as a pastor, I could tell you what pastors, nothing thrills the heart of a pastor more than seeing God move in lives. That's exciting for a pastor. That's payday. Seeing someone say, hey, I gave my life to Jesus. And seeing someone say, hey, I gave my problem to Jesus. And just seeing, I mean, someone changed by the Spirit of God. For me personally, that's so exciting. My hope and prayer is every time you come to Thorn Creek Church, you, you, you leave a different person. Because you had an encounter with Jesus. That's the hope and prayer. If that doesn't happen, gosh, guys, let's just go to the movies and watch Godzilla or something. You know, this is just a waste of time. There's other things to do. You want to see people changed. Stephen, he doesn't see anything happen. He doesn't see any positive fruit. He sees this guy named Saul take care of a whole bunch of coats, and he's pummeled by rocks, and he dies. He looks up. He sees Jesus in heaven. But his last day, his one sermon, one sermon that he preaches, he's stoned for. He's stoned for. But here's what happened after the life of Stephen. Christianity spread. Christians spread. They knew they all became fugitives. But they held on to the gospel, and wherever they spread to, they shared the gospel of Jesus everywhere they went. And the church overall started increasing because of Stephen. And this guy named Saul that witnessed everything, later on, God gets a hold of him. <clears throat> you know, for Saul, Stephen was an example of courage for Paul the Apostle. Stephen was an example of faith for Paul the Apostle. Oh, that's so good, guys. Stephen was an example of faith for Paul the Apostle. And when you look at the life of Paul the Apostle, you see Stephen in Paul all over it. It's, 
This is giving me chills, guys. This is so good. You see Stephen and Paul. Really changed. <clears throat> wow. I don't know what's going on in your life, but God wants you to know this. He can take care of all of your problems. God can take care of all of your problems. God's a good God. You're not here by accident. God wants you to live out a Stephen-like faith. Can you do that? Be a Stephen in your home, with your family. Be a Stephen at work. Be a Stephen outside the walls of church, whatever that means. Just be a Stephen. It's dangerous to be a Christian. And Stephen showed, hey, you know what? Being a Christian takes courage and it takes boldness. And that was Stephen. Be an example for those around you as they watch you walk by faith. Be an example. Because your life, your life can impact the lives of others even when you're gone. And they'll remember your faith. Well, can we stand? Can I get our prayer partners to come forward as well? Um, <clears throat> Jesus, thank you for the cross and thank you for this story. I just, I just want to say, if you struggle with stubbornness, let's start with that. Would you just say, God, free me from stubbornness. Change my heart. If you need to know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, would you just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. And forgive me for my sins. This morning, I, be, I choose to become a Christian. Others of you might need to say, God, would you fill me like you did with Stephen, with your grace and power? Or maybe you need to say, God, I need to give you my problem right now. Deliver me. Thank you for your presence, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.